Hello and welcome to The Crashdown. Today we're talking all about the episode Toy House. My name is CJ and let's get started. We have another jam-packed episode today. There's a fire, there's an accident on the basketball court, we have a whole host of dated references, and that's just the beginning. The episode opens this time on Max and his mother. We don't have Liz, we don't have a voiceover or a diary entry. Today, it's mostly about his perspective. Apparently, his dad is out of town, and when this happens, his mom loves to cook spicy food and watch old home movies. So they're sitting in the kitchen, Max is doing some homework, and it's biology, all about frog dissection, which isn't his strong suit or his mother's, but luckily he has a really good lab partner. She's good at this stuff. And his mom asks him, Ooh, she? Who is this she? Ooh, Liz Parker. Max gets all embarrassed. Oh, mom. And because she's so distracted having this conversation with him as she's cooking, she ends up knocking over a bottle of oil, which seeps across the stove until it catches on the open flame. All of a sudden, the kitchen is engulfed in these flames that are several feet high in the air. His mom starts to panic, but Max thinks quickly, and he ends up waving his arms over the flame to put them out, then grabbing a giant pot of water and pouring it all over the charred remains of what would have been their dinner. His mom is so impressed. It's a miracle. He just saved her life. But this act of heroics might end up costing him everything. We cut to, after the credits, a scene where the fire department is just wrapping up their investigation. It looks like Max is going to get away with this until Sheriff Valenti drops by. Their security system went off and he just wanted to follow up. He says he's so impressed by Max's behavior and that he was a real hero, but you can just tell by the tone of his voice that he's being facetious. He ends up poking around, investigating the stove, and talking to Max's mom, who again just says it's a miracle. But Sheriff Valenti isn't buying it. Too many coincidences, too many strange things happening. There's something up with Max Evans, and he's going to find out. When Isabel hears about this news, she freaks out. She can't believe that her mom was in danger like this. But what they're really worried about is whether she saw anything. They had an agreement not to tell anyone. And now the fact that Sheriff Valenti is zeroing in on their mom for information? This is not good. That's not quite what Max is so upset about, though. He's kind of mopey. He's been listening to the Counting Crows, which he only does when he's upset. And Isabel knows right away it's about Liz. She reassures him that this was the right choice. He had to do it. And he knows that. Maybe he just forgot for a little while. She asks him if he's okay with that. And then we cut to Liz saying, I'm totally okay with it. And I love when the show does this. I love when they carry on conversations from one scene to the next where the conversation carries on, but they're using that topic to bridge all these storylines together. You're getting both perspectives on the situation, and I love that. I think that's why I like these characters so much, is you really see how each one of them processes this information. Who buries it? Who tackles it head on? Who tries to find a way around it? Liz is definitely one of those people in denial. She is throwing herself into work, apparently with this manager's position, I don't know. And what she's doing is she's telling Maria that she's totally fine if she's, like, cleaning this cup. But here's again my thing with this restaurant. You don't wipe a glass down with a towel. It leaves lint all over it. And are they drying every glass and dish by hand? That would take forever in a restaurant like this. And if you're going to polish glass or silverware, use like one of those coffee filters. Because after she's done wiping it down and Maria says, like, the glass is clean, Liz. 
She then manhandles it. She puts the towel down and then grabs the glass in her hand. So even if it was clean before, now it's got fingerprints all over it, and no one wants a glass that's covered in people's fingerprints. It's really silly. But this scene is supposed to be pointing out how distracted she is. Because when she moves on to the next task, she's telling Maria that she's totally fine with this decision. It was totally mutual. Well, like, 90% mutual. And as she's saying this, she keeps filling up the coffee pot with more and more coffee grinds until Maria's like, that's enough coffee! But Maria realizes that this is way more Max's decision than it is Liz's. At school, when Michael learns of this whole fire situation, he's not really concerned about Mrs. Evans' safety. What he's worried about is the fact that Max used his powers in front of this woman. They are not supposed to trust anyone. They're not supposed to expose their powers to anyone. It's one thing to tell frickin' Frack, and as him and Max are walking down the hallway, he points to Liz and Maria. It's okay to tell frickin' Frack, but adults are the enemy. Max is like, you say everyone is the enemy. And Michael's like, they are! And that's, that's Michael's point of view. Everyone is the enemy until proven otherwise. And even then, he still doesn't really trust you. But as they walk by... Maria and Liz notice them, so they head over to the lockers to greet them. And this is a hilarious scene. So as they walk up, Max is like, hey. And Liz is like, hey. And Michael's like, hey. And Maria's like, yeah, whatever. And then she just stalks away. Michael realizes she's not sticking around, so he doesn't either. And Liz and Max are left to talk. Now Liz is trying to seem overly okay with the whole situation. Because apparently... There's a basketball game, and they all have seats together, and she doesn't want it to be, like, weird or anything. But the fact that she's bringing it up and pointing it out is making it really weird. But, again, I'll have an issue with this, but I'm going to bring it up at the basketball game. So, remind me, future self, as I'm talking about this podcast, assigned seating. What the heck? It's right at that moment, though... That King Kyle comes stalking down the hallway. He's surrounded by his teammates and he's in his jersey. And as he walks by, he looks at Liz and is like, Hey. <laughs> I just have to laugh so hard because that's what teenagers do. Even now, it's like, yo, what's up? Hey. You're not being like, hello, dear classmate. How are you this afternoon? You're like, yo. Sup? So I just have to say they nailed that. So back at home... Mrs. Evans, Max's mom, is recovering from this earlier trauma. She's sitting around watching home movies, which she often tends to do when her husband is out of town, and Isabel is just on her way out. She notices what her mom is doing as she's getting ready to leave, but this time it seems a little different. She isn't just watching these videos of Isabel and Max when they were children, it's like she was looking for something. And she stops Isabel before she gets out the door to ask her about Max. He's always been so private, so guarded. What's his secret? Why can't he open up? And Isabel's like, I don't know. He's always been that way. It's just Max. And his mom's like, that's what I'm worried about. He's always been so secretive. What do you think he's hiding? Isabel's just trying to get out of there. She's trying to calm her mom down, but... Her mom is latched onto something now. She's worried about her son. Isabel tries to comfort her, but her mom kind of like blows it off. Oh, I'm just being silly. But this is not the last time we're going to hear about this. Anyways, at the basketball game, assigned seating. Thank you, past self, for reminding me. So they're at this basketball game. It's Maria Alex, Michael, and then Liz sitting next to each other. Now, Liz had mentioned that she didn't want it to be awkward because they all had seats together, but these are just like long rows of benches in a gym. I am pretty sure they do not have assigned numbers on a long bench. These aren't chairs. This isn't a stadium. This is like a high school gym. And I have to point out that this whole gym looks like a military base or an aircraft hangar. It's a complete, like, semicircle tube cylinder. Like, the roof is curved. 
One wall is pure glass. I've never seen a gym designed like this in my life. It's so bizarre. And there's only seats on like one little strip of one side, but there's cheerleaders. Like, it's so ridiculous. Anyway, it's a basketball game. And Kyle is playing. And they're not doing very well. But Liz is cheering her little heart out. Go, Kyle! Woo! Yeah, you can do it! And she's jumping up and down. And she's, like, way, way into this. The rest of the group are kind of like, yeah, okay, who cares? Michael even has a line like, uh, humans, they get so excited about putting a ball through a hoop. And Maria... She's just admiring the other team, and she actually cheers when the other team scores, and then she's like, wait, I retract that last woo when everyone gives her death glares. Because if you're sitting in your school section and you're cheering for the other team, uh, I'm sorry, but that's not going to fly. Anyway, as Isabel arrives with a bunch of her friends, she asks if there's room, and of course Alex hops up immediately, shooshes a bunch of people out of the way so that he can sit next to Isabel and her friends. This leaves Maria and Michael next to each other, so then Maria goes and switches with one of the guys sitting behind her. So, here we go. Everyone's moving around, they're like sliding down, they're switching spots. I really do not think these kids have been assigned seats, especially because the whole school can't fit there. And it's not like you have to get tickets to your own high school's basketball team game in your own gym. This assigned seating thing is so bizarre to me. I mean, unless it's like, look, I know our group of friends are hanging out together. But at this point, like, you and Max aren't together. Maria and Michael aren't together. Alex is the only one kind of still interested in one of the aliens, and he's doing his own thing with her friends. So let him go, man. Sit wherever the heck you want. This is so bizarre to me. It's one of those, like, for the purposes of the script. But you could have deleted that scene and just... They get to the gymnasium, and the only spots left are next to each other. That would get you the same conflict without being totally crazy. That's way more believable. You just show up, and those are the only spots. As opposed to like, hey, we've got an assigned seat. My assigned spot is three and a half feet left of the doorway on the second row. Because, like, there isn't even designated, like, seats in a bench. It's one long plank of wood. The weirdest things bother me about this show. I'm totally on board with aliens and magic powers, but assigned seating in a gymnasium? I do not buy that at all. Anyway, once Isabel's friends get settled, she pulls Max aside. She lets him know that mom is asking questions, and she desperately wants to tell her the truth. She's wanted to tell her all along, and now that she's curious... It's the perfect time. Michael steps in, though, and is like, no way. And Isabel's like, it's not up to you. And Max is like, no way. She's being outvoted here. They do not want to share this secret. All the while, this basketball game is happening in the background, and Liz keeps cheering. And at one point, Kyle is running by. She cheers so loudly that he trips and falls and ends up breaking his ankle. Now, Max has been jealous that Liz is cheering at all, but once he sees how concerned she is with Kyle's health and safety, hmm, he doesn't seem to like that one bit. And he especially doesn't like it later at the crashdown when he sees Liz bringing a pie to Kyle. And not just a pie. She also ends up bringing him study notes for their ethics class. She is definitely feeling somewhat responsible for what happened to him. Kyle is having none of it, though. He's in no mood to talk to her. He's in no mood to discuss his injury at all. So she kind of just, you know, tucks her tail between her legs and walks out of his place. Meanwhile, Sheriff Valenti is getting to work. He shows back up at the Evans house. And he starts the conversation with, Oh, isn't Max such a nice kid? But it sure is strange that he's been involved in a couple of different incidents now. And of course, Max's mom has no idea what he's talking about. And that's when Sheriff Valenti mentions the shooting. 
Of course, being an overprotective parent, this sets off alarm bells, but he didn't want to worry her. He just wanted to give her some pamphlets about fire safety, specifically grease fires, and he even highlighted those sections for her convenience. Sneaky, sneaky Sheriff Valenti. It's honestly a very good tactic. You don't come out and say something to her because she's going to defend her child. What you do is you plant these little seeds in their mind and let them take root. Speaking of seeds, roots, and wood, back at school, Maria is in shop class. She's got this plank of wood and she's trying to cut out these curves in this piece of wood. And she ends up snapping it in half. Michael saunters in and tells her that she's gripping too tight. She's like, I'm not gripping too tight. And she won't listen. And here's one of our dated references. There's a line, you're a regular Bob Vila. And I never really watched anything with Bob Vila other than Home Improvement. And is that weird that it's like secondhand, thirdhand references here that I only remember because Tim the Tool Man Taylor had this ongoing rivalry with this guy because Tim was such a screw-up and Bob was such a perfectionist, so they had this clash, like this faux clash on the show. (laughs) That's probably dating myself too, JTT man. I had such a crush. Anyway, Maria's getting so frustrated because this is her final project. She's been working really hard on this, but nothing seems to be working out. Michael picks up the pieces that she's already cut and says, No, this is looking pretty good once you get it assembled. It'll be a great shoe tree. And she's like, I'm making a napkin holder. It's like, oh, whoops. But okay, unless they've specifically said you have to make a napkin holder, If it would make a good shoe tree, just turn it into a shoe tree. Maybe that's just me. It's like, adapt as you go, people. Play to your strengths. Although, my experience in shop class was very skewed. It was supposed to be a science class, but instead we carved wooden dragster cars, and the person who went the fastest got the highest grade. We also welded metal boxes. That was uh, super special. And to get the grade on that, our shop teacher had this faux crystal ball and you had to rub your hands over it and guess your own grade. I'm doing air quotes here. And uh, if you were right, that's the grade you got. And if not, he would tell you the grade. But it was always so hard because if you aimed too high, he thought you were being cocky and would knock you down. But if you said C and he would have given you a B, well, now he's going to give you a C because apparently that's a C in your mind. It was... It was ridiculous, you guys. So shop classes are, in my mind, a very sliding scale. Anyways, Michael is not here to talk to her about her final project. He says he just saw her and wanted to come say hi. She's not impressed by this, though. She's actually really mad at him. When she gets mad, though, he's like, fine, this was obviously the wrong move. I'll never do it again. And she's like, fine, run away. And he's like ripping his hair out because Michael doesn't get subtlety of emotion. He doesn't get girls and how they want you to know what they're feeling without having to say it. But with Michael, you have to say it. He doesn't know unless you say it. So Maria finally comes out and is like, I saved your life. I dragged your limp body across an Indian reservation. I was worried about you. I risked so much, and when you woke up, you hugged Max, you hugged Isabel, and it was all about the three of you. She was there too. She was helping too. She was helping him, and she was helping Isabel when Isabel was distressed. And yet, nothing. Was he even going to say thank you? And he's like, thank you. But it's too late, pal. If you have to ask someone for manners... It totally defeats the purpose. This, of course, frustrates Michael to no end. Like, what does she want from him? And this relationship, it's fraught with so much tension, even at the best of times. But right now, he's exasperated, she's exasperated, and they just need to go their separate ways. Back at home, Max is trying to do some damage control. 
it apparently is late at night and he is painting the ceiling because when the oven caught on fire, like the stovetop, the flames were like five feet in the air. And so the whole ceiling is like singed. But my question is, um, can you just paint over that? One, I would check for structural damage. Two, wouldn't you like wipe off the soot? Because I would say that probably 80% of what you see, that black, is just soot. So wouldn't you want to scrub that down? You're not just going to put paint over soot. That cannot be good. It's not going to adhere. It's probably going to seep through and maybe it'll even have a weird chemical reaction. Who knows? So anyway, he's painting over it and that's when his mom comes down. Now's the perfect opportunity to talk to him alone. So she wants him one more time to go over exactly what happened in the fire. And he's been repeating this whole, the whole episode to her, to the fire department, to Sheriff Valenti. He tells Isabel and Michael what he said. And that's just, oh, I just grabbed the pot of water and poured it on the fire. But the thing is, water doesn't put out a grease fire. It causes it to spread. Because water and oil don't mix, the water doesn't coat the fire. The oil actually floats to the top of it and the water pushes the oil so that the flames cover more surface. And now that Sheriff Valenti has given his mom this flyer, she knows that this doesn't make any sense. And they've already said it's miraculous and if I were him I would just keep going with that. Be like, I don't know what to tell you. That's what happened. And just seriously, like she can't prove anything else. Just keep saying that over and over. But he starts getting really defensive here. Luckily, Isabel comes home and is able to divert the conversation. When she's talking with Max alone later, Isabel is pleading with him. Like, Valenti is making her curious. Can we just tell? And he's like, these are two people that know nothing. No, we are not going to tell. But these are two people that know something is wrong curiosity it is such a powerful motivator there's a tv show on right now called mr robot which i highly 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 recommend and i'm really considering doing a podcast on as well but one of the main characters is a hacker and he hacks all the people in his life because he gets this itch something in the back of his brain is telling him there's something not right with that person and that's that voice of curiosity. Something isn't right. Something doesn't add up. And when that nagging feeling is just tap, tap, tapping on your brain, it is very hard to ignore. Isabel keeps saying that they can't just pull a max. And I love that they turn his name into a verb here. And that basically means we can't just sit passively back and watch. He's like, I'm not sitting passively back. But the fact that you are not doing anything, you're not saying anything, you're not being proactive. Yeah, that's the definition of passivity. And for Isabel, this is something that she's always wanted. Since she understood that she had power, she's wanted to be able to share it with her family. This isn't just hiding the truth from her mom anymore. This is now actively lying to her. And she has to lie to everyone, all the time, every single day. And she doesn't want to put her mom on that list. Max tries to temper her, though, saying, What would happen if this woman learned that their whole relationship had been a sham? That it had been a lie? Isabel's like, You think mom won't love us? And Max is like, We'll never know. Because they are not telling. He keeps putting his foot down again and again and again. But this isn't just his decision to make. Mm hmm. That's another thing that's come back. I've kind of mentioned it before. I'll mention it again. We're not quite there yet. But Max likes to be in control. And now that their mom is more curious than ever, they have to be extra careful. So to me, in the next scene, Isabel is getting ready to go out again, and she's standing in front of her mirror. She's waving her hand over her lips to change the color of her lipstick. And the mom knocks on the door and comes in, and Isabel kind of jumps and grabs the lipstick tube to put some on. 
And I, I guess to her this would be so second nature, but if your mom is suspecting that you're doing some sort of magic, wouldn't you either A, stop doing that in the house, two, lock the door? Like, seriously, that's all it takes. Or shut the door and, like, put something in front of it. Like, not like a dresser. You're not locking the mom out. But just, here's a weird tip. If you put, like, a sweatshirt or a towel right behind the door, when people go to open it, it'll get caught underneath and jam. And so it gives you an extra second before they can either push past it or they have to close the door and ask you to move it. It gives you an extra couple of seconds before they're in the room. And then if anyone asks, be like, oh, I just dropped it, or it must have fallen off a hook, or I didn't notice that I had left it there, or it fell out of my laundry basket. It's not weird, well, if you're like me, who has a little bit of a messy room, I'm, I'll am i come clean about that. Uh, it's not unusual for some of my laundry to be on the floor sometimes, slash all the time. Um... So to me, that's, oh, it must have just got knocked in front of the door. But seriously, take some sort of precaution if you're living with someone who's onto your secrets. Anyway, the mom comes in and starts asking her all these questions about her life before the adoption. And Isabel says, well, I don't really remember. But her mom's like, you were six years old. You have to remember something. But again, if children are being found alone in the desert, something bad probably happened. If you never found their parents, if you never found out where they came from, if there were no missing children reports, my guess is that they were probably either heavily abused or totally abandoned, or they watched their parents die in front of them. Kids don't just wander off. If a kid goes missing, someone reports it. And if they don't, They've probably been doing something bad to that child and don't want to get caught. So to be constantly hounding these kids about their adoption and like, what were you, what was happening before? And honestly, people, how much do you remember before you were six years old? I remember bits and pieces, but I feel like a lot of that is because I talked to my family about it. We have photo albums full of pictures and memories. We have home videos and like the home videos in this one. Um, But other than that, if I was left to my own devices and a decade later was asked about it, would I really remember? I mean, I don't even remember what I had for breakfast this morning. No joke, guys. I'm actually really trying to think about what I had for breakfast this morning and I have no idea. What day of the week is it? I don't know. Wow. Like, legitimately, I'm trying to think of what I ate for breakfast. It might have been a tomato sandwich or some string cheese. I really can't tell. Anyway, that just shows how bad my memory is. So if you're asking me about what happened when I was four years old, I don't know. Anyway, Isabel is getting really flustered. But the memory that she comes up with is that she remembers the orphanage that she was in. When they came out of the desert, they had to be placed in some sort of temporary care. And so, yes, this would be one of her only memories between the time she came out of the pod and the time that she was adopted. And what she says is she remembers the very first day that her and daddy, she's talking to her mom, her and daddy came into the orphanage and she was wearing a bright yellow sweater. And Isabel thought she looked like the sun. You were like the sun. And she gives her mom a big hug and is basically like, I don't know where I would have been without you. This is my home. You're my family. Please stop asking about this. I don't know what to tell you. I honestly don't remember. And she tells her mom, the day you adopted us is the day our life really began. And in many, many ways, that's true. Now, back to the Michael storyline. He shows up at lunch, Maria's sitting there with her kind of dilapidated napkin holder, and he comes over, and he wants to make peace, but he's just so, he, he can't do it. He's so antagonistic that even when he's being nice, it doesn't really come off as nice. And he, he even says, I know why you want me to apologize. It's a tactic. And Maria's just like a tactic. Uh Uh-huh. Okay. But he feels like 
he owes her. He's indebted to her for saving him. And he cannot be indebted to anyone. That's why he can't have ties. He can't be close. He's got to be able to pack up anytime and just take off. He doesn't want to be obligated to return any favors. So what he decides to do is he grabs her napkin holder and puts it under the table and asks her, what color do you want it painted? He's going to use his hocus pocus magic to make her the ultimate napkin holder. But that's not what she wants. She doesn't want him indebted to her and she doesn't want him fixing her project. That's cheating. Maria is going to earn her grade. She doesn't want shortcuts. It's not about that. She even tells him he needs massive doses of therapy, like immediately. If he is that unable to just apologize, it's ridiculous. So she tries to grab this napkin holder back from him and it ends up falling apart. And now this could be because Michael wouldn't let go. It could be because it's poorly constructed. Either way, now Maria has no final project and she's so mad. She's like, why can't you just apologize like a normal human being? Oh, wait, oops, that's probably why. And it looks for a minute like it stings Michael, but then she just stalks away. Like, I'm over this. He needs to figure out what's really going on with him. Now, back at the crashdown, Kyle comes hobbling in on crutches. And poor Liz is feeling so guilty about this. If she hadn't distracted him, this never would have happened. And Kyle has come to the same realization. That's why she brought the pie. That's why she brought the study notes. She somehow thinks this is her fault. But he wants to say it's not. And we finally get a bit of healing here, and bitter Kyle is slowly fading away, angry Kyle is slowly disappearing, and he tells her, like, you don't have to feel guilty, just because he's going to have to miss the rest of the season does not mean that this is her fault. And again, Liz is like, oh no, Kyle, I'm so sorry, like, not just for that, but the whole reason she was cheering as loudly as she was is that she knows how hard it is when they were losing, um, but also the fact of the whole breakup. She knows what it's like to be dumped now, and she didn't have a lot of sympathy for him at the time, but now that she gets what it's like when you care about someone a lot more than they care about you, it's hard when they just flip that switch and end it. Kyle is actually really mature in this scene, though, and tells her that she was pretty much straight with him the whole time. She never said that she loved him or wanted to be with him forever. She was a straight shooter. And he was the one that didn't listen. And he apologizes. And Liz is shocked at this, like, I did not even know that was in your repertoire. He's like, oh yeah, you know, I was watching Sally Jesse, and there was a show about cheating exes on a rampage. And again, Sally Jesse, do you guys know who that is? I bet you don't. If you do, you might only know the red glasses or from something like The Simpsons. I don't really even know Sally Jesse, but I knew a lot of trashy kind of talk shows at that time. Um, and he did not want to be like one of those exes on a rampage. He might have been hurt. He might have been jealous. But if he cared for her, he shouldn't want to hurt her. And they actually throw out this olive branch and decide they're going to try to be friends. And... Then he comes clean that no, he's not going to miss the whole season. He's only going to be out for a couple of weeks, but he just wanted to prove his point that she was feeling responsible. But now that that has been cleared away, they get to kind of joke that he's looking for something dense in calories and low in nutrition. And she leans over and starts pointing at items on the menu. And this is when Max walks up. You see him through the window of the crashdown. He was obviously coming to hang out with her but then sees her and Kyle just laughing away at this booth, and he decides he's not going to go in. Now, I don't know if that's the right move or not, but I could see if you're liking a girl, you don't want her flirting with her ex. Now, there's one final meeting between Mrs. Evans and Sheriff Valenti in this episode. He calls her into his office, and he wants to show her a file. It's the incident report of the shooting and talks about how Max fled the scene. 
and she's worried that he's accusing Max of something, but no, by all accounts, he didn't do anything wrong. But if he didn't, then why did he run? And he has the witness testimony from those two wackadoodle alien hunters earlier on. But they say about how Liz was shot. Someone went over. They held their hand over her and she was fine. And Mrs. Evans is looking at him like he's a wackadoodle. But he's like, I'm not saying your son has healing powers, but I just thought you should see this. And of course, she's dismissed it. She's like, well, that's crazy. That's impossible. But now the wheels are spinning in her head, and he is observing her. You can see him watching. She doesn't need to say anything for him to get his answers, and that is why he is so good at his job. I know we're supposed to hate him. I know he's the enemy right now. Now that Topolsky's gone, Sheriff Valenti's one of the only ones that's still on the case. But he's just so clever that, oh, Jim Valenti... Star Sheriff. Anyways, back at home, Max is wallowing again, uh, and his mom is now re-watching that video again. There's a specific one where Max and Isabel were just about six years old. It's right after they came to live with them, and they're playing in a park. There's a bunch of pigeons around, and they notice that one of them is injured. It seems to have a broken wing, and as you can hear the mom in the back of the video calling them away, like, leave it alone, honey, don't touch it. But Max picks it up, and again, everyone's really worried, but when he releases it, the bird takes off into the air. It's completely fine. And that is what his mom was thinking about at the sheriff's office. Something like that you don't forget. She couldn't put her finger on it then. But did he heal that bird? And so she asks him. He denies everything, though. That was ten years ago. He doesn't even remember. But when she won't stop, he gets defensive again. Why are you doing this to me? Why are you interrogating me? You're supposed to be my mother. She's like, I'm not investigating you. I just, I want to know. Tell me. You can tell me. And again, this is like with Alex. When someone's on your side and wants the truth, tell them. If they find out on their own or they turn against you, that's when you're going to have a problem. But when this person is loving you and they're reaching out to you in good faith, that's your opportunity, Max. That was it. Tell her, tell her, tell her. But of course he can't and he storms out. And when she asks where he's going, he does his typical, you know, I'm going out. You're not giving a list. You're not saying with who. He just storms off. He ends up at this, what I'm going to say is like a rock quarry. Because there's like a big pit and all this gravel and there's some water at the bottom. And he's with Michael and Isabel, again, discussing what the heck they're going to do about this. Michael's pissed. Oh, what, you're Dr. Doolittle now? But he was six years old. He didn't even really realize that he had powers yet let alone that they would be taping him and that this would come back a decade later. Michael just says we have to destroy the tape and then it's her word versus their word. But Isabel's like, this is my mom. Like, it's, we're not fighting her. She wants to help. She wants to know. Maybe it would help to have an adult on their side. Think of all the problems they're having with the sheriff. If one parent comes in, though, and files a complaint about harassing a minor, guess what? He's either going to back off or he's going to lose his job. And you find out later that the dad is actually a lawyer, so it would not take a lot to really bring the heat down on the sheriff. His dad was already kicked off the force for this alien nonsense. He's only willing to take it so far publicly right now. Michael says she won't keep their secret, though. There's no such thing as unconditional love like that. Max agrees and says they won't say anything, but Isabel is getting madder and madder. He is not allowed to speak for her. She has her own thoughts and opinions, and his say is not final. Why does he get to decide everything? This isn't just about him, and he can't get why this is so important. She is so close to her mom. She knew she was home right away. So to keep this secret from her, 
is putting this wedge between their relationship. And that's not fair. Max says no, and that's final. This dictatorship, man. Hmm. Anyway, Isabel gets really mad. She storms off, and she you can hear her driving off in the car. But I'm pretty sure well, Michael definitely does not have a car. Uh, Max doesn't have his own car. So did she just leave them at this rock quarry to, like, walk back into town from the middle of the desert? You can definitely hear a car driving by. And none of them are friends with Maria, so the Jetta is not involved. So I always just wonder about that scene of... What's happening? Did she just, like, start the car and start driving away? I don't know. I have a lot of questions about that. It's not like they can teleport. That is not one of their powers. Whatever. Back at school again, Maria is at her locker, and when she opens it up, she finds this beautifully crafted, beautifully painted napkin holder. And it's got a note on it. Handmade by Michael. Thanks. And you can see her, she picks it up and she reads the note and she gets this, oh, this sweet, beautiful, heart-melting smile on her face. She puts it back in and basically goes to class. Michael ends up waiting outside the room and as soon as she comes out, he goes up to her like, oh, how did you do on the project? And Maria says she flunked as expected. And Michael's like, wait, didn't you get my thing? And... She's like, yeah. He's like, I, I busted my ass on that thing. It was spring activated to secure the napkins. It was going to revolutionize napkin holders. But Maria didn't end up using it for her project. That's cheating. Giving something in, claiming something's yours when it's not, that's cheating. She didn't give it for her final project. She kept it for herself. And then Michael gets this smile on his face, and oh, it's only for a second. And there they are, they're both sharing this, oh, this beautiful moment. And then, nothing. There's just silence. And Maria's just like, oh, at the end of her rope, so she just goes to walk away again. And then Michael shouts after her, I have something to say to you! And so she kind of stops, turns back to him, and he very seriously says, you think, oh, maybe he'll tell her he likes her, maybe he'll tell her thank you, oh, who knows. But what does Michael say? The next time he's in a situation like that, she just shouldn't help. Because he was serious. He's not going to be indebted to anyone. So if he's dying in the desert somewhere, let him die. How depressing is that? Seriously, he would rather injure himself. He would rather put himself in harm's way then have to rely on another person. That's where he is. The only people he is willing to reach out to are Max and Isabel. And even then, he's constantly fighting with them. He's a lone wolf, baby. He needs to be a stone wall. And when he's around her, that's not how he feels. And so she asks, how do you feel? But the answer is basically human. And he cannot have that. And is that progress? Is that him opening up? Is that him realizing what those emotions are? I mean, he's still denying them, but he's having them. And that's all the difference in the world. Ugh, I love their on-again, off-again romance, will-they-won't-they, they, they're constantly fighting. I know it's probably not the healthiest relationship, but I think both of these characters are good for each other. Michael is so stern and practical, and Maria is so emotionally intuitive sometimes that they need to bring out those traits in each other. I am so excited to watch the rest of their relationship progress. Oh, I love them. Another relationship that I'm really rooting for is this Max and Liz, though. Later that night, he shows up at the crashdown when she's closing up, and when she asks why he's there, he's kind of like, oh, no, nothing, no reason. But obviously he has an agenda. Why would he go there in the middle of the night? Well, in all honesty, he just wants to tell her that if she and Kyle are getting back together, that, you know, he's okay with that. And Liz is just kind of like, uh, excuse me? That is not what's happening here. Like, not at all. And then even if it was... She did not need his permission. 
And he gets really pissed, like, ugh, you're starting to sound like Isabel now. She says I'm really controlling. And she's like, uh, take a psych class, you are controlling. Max is just exhausted, though. He's so tired of trying to hold all of this together. But that's exactly the problem. He's putting it all on himself. Liz tells him, like, trust the people around you. They care about you. They want to help you. It's only so hard because you're doing it alone, and there's no need for that. He needs to have a little faith in people. And that brings us to our final scene. Something needs to be done about his mom. He knows what Michael wants. He knows what Isabel wants. And I think the reason why Max's word is always final is because he's always the tiebreaker. And so he shows up at this park where his mom is sitting on a bench. And I just have to say, she's being a real creeper here. This grown woman is sitting in a park watching children play? Uh, no. If this was a man, that would be labeled a pedophile. And the number of female pedophiles would astound you. It goes so underreported. It's a real epidemic. So this creepy lady sitting in the park, no, 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 no. Anyway, apparently, I guess it's where the kids used to play or something, but Max knows to find her there. So then again, this is like a regular occurrence that she just like watches kids anyway. So Max shows up and he's going to try and talk to her. He gives her this like present, but it's in this crumpled up piece of brown paper. And he's like, sorry for the wrapping, but like, it's not even wrapping. It's literally like a crumpled up paper, like a piece of garbage wrapped around this thing. But what he gives her was a toy house. That's right, the titular toy house. Some of these guys, they're either so obvious or such an obscure throwaway thing. Who named these? But the story that went with it is when he was first adopted and they brought them home. Isabel knew that this was their home right away, but Max would cry and cry and cry because he wanted to go home. And so his mom bought him this toy house and said it was a magic toy house that would take him home. But the thing is, he didn't know where home was, so it never worked. He asks her to stop questioning him, to just trust him. Max says he's not doing anything bad. He's not doing anything dangerous. She just needs to trust him. And if she can't do that, then he understands and he's willing to leave. And then the mom kind of starts panicking, like, no, I don't want you to leave. Like, she just wants to know what's going on. She was just worried. Also in this scene, I just had to mention, their mom had brought up their past with Isabel. And in this moment, she does the same thing to Max. She asks him about whether or not they should try and find his real parents. And to me, this terminology is incorrect. It's birth parents. Because if you're the person that's raised this child, you are their parents. And that's kind of what Max says, too. He doesn't think he'll ever find those parents. If he did, there probably would be a lot of answers for him. But he doesn't want his mom to think that she wasn't enough. Because she was. He doesn't even know where he would be without her. And in that moment of honesty, I think that's what makes his mom trust him. That's what makes her kind of give up this line of questioning. She does trust her son. She wants to believe in him. So when he asks her to let this go, she does. And that's when they have that sweet moment. And they hug. And it seems like for now, everything's going to be okay. He's a good kid. And the thing is, if what he's hiding is healing powers then he's even better than the average person. This isn't like he's getting arrested for shoplifting. This is like he's making the world a better place. And for now, at least, her fears have been set aside. When the conversation's over, Max goes back to this rock quarry where Isabel has been waiting. And again, uh, cars? Whose car are they using? Did they take one of the parents' cars? They're meeting out there? I... It's the little things, guys. It's the little things in this show that bother me. And Max tells her that everything's going to be okay. And Isabel's like, oh, you told her? 
no. And she just basically almost breaks down in tears. Well, not almost. She does. She wanted her mom. She wanted that relationship. She just wanted her to know. And I feel really bad for her because all these other guys do have someone else in their life. But Isabel has no one. Literally no one. And how lonely would that life be? How hard would that be? I mean, it's it's almost unbearable. It's in, almost unthinkable. Max hugs her and lets her know at least they have each other and that it will be okay together. And then the episode fades out with the two of them there and it's another Counting Crows song. And that's the episode. And this is kind of a strange one because so many do follow Liz and her perspective. And you only get a couple of scenes, those couple of scenes with Kyle. The rest of it... You're seeing Liz through Max's perspective, through that window at the crashdown, across the gym when she's worried about Kyle, in the hallway when she's talking to Maria. So I like that. I mean, it is all about these aliens, after all. We want to know about them. We want to know about what they're dealing with. And because this isn't a big history revelation like last week, we want some of that emotional development, looking into their past, looking into those relationships. So, I don't know, I'll have to watch out for that. I don't think I've ever consciously noticed that in any of the time I've watched this series. I knew Liz had a lot of monologues, I knew there was a lot of voiceover, but I had never kept track. And this really is one of the first ones that isn't a Liz-driven plot, or at least isn't bookended by her thoughts on the situation. And Max doesn't have a voiceover, and I like that. Max isn't the type of guy who spills his thoughts and feelings. Max is the kind of guy that buries it all deep down inside. I hope you don't bury your thoughts, though, because I want to hear them. Seriously, guys, email me your thoughts, your questions, your opinions on any of the episodes I've done so far, anything coming up, any of the characters or plots or music. Are there other songs that you notice? I did mention... The Counting Crows. I do want to talk some more about the music in the future, but do you have any favorite songs? Are there any moments that are just perfectly punctuated by that exact right song that describes exactly how you're feeling and then the person you like says they like that song too and then the wind is blowing through your hair? Oh no, that was a couple episodes. Sorry guys, I got distracted. Anyway, if you have any thoughts, email me at thecrashdownpodcast at gmail.com. I'm also on Twitter the crash down pod. I'm not super active, but if you guys tweet me, I'll tweet back. I promise. I pinky swear. Anyways, that's it for this week. Until next time, you guys.